welcome back to the Not Your Mama podcast. This is your host, Kelly Bryant. I'm the creator and founder of Kelly Bryant Wellness, and I'm a prenatal, postpartum, and women's pelvic health fitness expert. That was a mouthful. I always just try out different intros. That one was a little bit, a little crowded, a little crowded in that intro. Um, Today, I have a quickie for you. So we're going to be talking about what is the pelvic floor exactly? This is one of the most common questions I get. And this question is actually kind of how I ended up doing what I do because I was pregnant and I was learning how to modify things for myself, what, you know, what I needed to be doing differently during pregnancy. It wasn't until later that I kind of really understood, but I was trying to learn this stuff and I was teaching a lot of what I was learning about the core and the pelvic floor. And I would have women of all ages kind of like whispered tones be like, what exactly is my pelvic floor? Or I'll say to a new client, I'll say, okay, can you engage your pelvic floor? And they'll say, I I don't know what that means. I don't know how. So I figured we'd take it like way back to basics and say like, what is your pelvic floor? What does it do? And how can you have a quote unquote strong pelvic floor? So what is the pelvic floor? Now we're going to get a little bit nerdy. If you happen to be sitting in front of a computer or device that you can like actually Google a photo of the pelvic floor, I would recommend just like doing a Google image search for pelvic floor muscles because it's helpful to have a visual, but I'm going to do my very, very best to describe it kind of somatically so that you have a feeling of it in your body. So if you wiggle around on your butt, you'll find your two sit bones. Your sit bones are the bony butts of the underside of your seat. Your sit bones are on either side. And then to the front, you have your pubic bone. So if you kind of lean forward, you'll find your pubic bone. And if you lean back, you have your tailbone. These are four main anchors for the pelvic floor. They're not the only ones, but they're the four main ones. And on the outermost layer, we have kind of a diamond and a figure eight that attach between those two areas. And so there's a lot of muscle that goes right through the perineum, which is the area between your vagina and your anus. And then there's also muscles that wrap around the vagina and the urethra in the front and the anus in the back. So in addition to these kind of the most superficial or the outermost layer of the pelvic floor, you also have sphincters around the urethra, the vagina and the anus. So I want to kind of differentiate that like there are these muscles that are more like kind of the way we understand muscles. And then there's also sphincters, which are muscular as well, but are wrapping around each of those openings. And so that's one of the reasons that it's super problematic when we think about engaging the pelvic floor as being an engagement of the urethral sphincter, because that is not the same as engaging all of the muscles of the pelvic floor, which include the sphincters, but also include the muscles that attach to bone, like what I just described. Now, what I just described is the most superficial or the outermost layer. You have layers that go all the way up. And as you go kind of deeper into the pelvis, the muscles get a little bit more vague as far as what we define as the pelvic floor. So for me, I'm basically like, if it's in your pelvis, (laughs) if it is on the interior of the bones of your pelvis, it is a pelvic floor muscle. So what I mean by that is like, you have glute muscles, which are 
outside of the pelvis. And those are, they work with the pelvic floor, but they are not pelvic floor muscles. However, you have your piriformis, which is kind of more to the interior, and it is very much a part of the bowl of your pelvis. And so I consider that to be a pelvic floor muscle. Everyone's definition is a little bit different, but there's all kinds of muscles in here that do different things. And I'm not going to bore you by like naming and defining every single one. But one of the ones that I love mentioning is the coccygeus muscle, which is your tailbone is your coccyx. And this muscle is a like deep kind of prehistoric muscle in our body that used to once upon a time, we, we think, um, it was our tail wagging muscle. And so for those of us who tend to sit kind of slouched and like tucked under toward the back of the pelvis, we end up sitting on our tailbone instead of our sit bones. You'll never guess based on those names, which ones we're supposed to be sitting on. So if we end up sitting on our tailbone as opposed to our sit bones, we're kind of pushing our tailbone in by sitting on it. And we're shortening those coccygeus muscles, which can have all kinds of effects throughout the pelvis and throughout the whole spine because your tailbone is the base of your spine. So if you get really tight in just like one small part of this pelvic floor anatomy, everything else is going to be affected because it's all going to, to compensate and to change the way it's working to adjust for how these other muscles are working. So that's just one really small example of how if you're sitting on the tailbone instead of sitting on your sit bones, cue everyone listening, like adjusting and getting up on the sit bones, or if you are constantly tucking in all of your exercises, like if you're, you know, if you've been taught for whatever reason to like mula bandha in yoga class or to like tuck your tail in bar class, that can be super problematic because you can be shortening these muscles that are around the tailbone. So sorry, that was a little um, tail detour, but I wanted to mention it because it's very um, emblematic of how the whole pelvic floor kind of works, where everything is being affected by everything else and nothing works independently. And there's muscles in there that do jobs that we like had no idea were still happening. So that's the, the pelvic floor muscles in a nutshell. Now, what do those muscles do? do exactly. They they don't wag our tail, right? We don't still have that like prehistoric tail wagging muscle because you are not a monkey. So what are they doing? One of the big jobs of the pelvic floor is to hold our organs. So to provide support for the bladder, the rectum, and the vagina, uterus, all of that. Now, I always joke that women's pelvic floor is more complicated than men's because it has three holes instead of two. So there's just less stability in the female pelvic floor. That is for sure true. There's also the fact that the vagina is designed to spread and expand and open to like 10 times its normal size in childbirth. Um, And the penis also grows with, um, with an erection, but that's external to the body. So that doesn't affect nearly as much of the other organs, the way that the vagina, um, spreading during intercourse or during birth does. So the vagina is meant to be kind of inherently, it's meant to be a little bit unstable. Um, 
And the pelvic floor has this really fancy job of holding the vagina, not just inside of you, but also what I'm going to call upright, (laughs) which is like a funny way of thinking of your vagina as like, I'm picturing, you know, those, um, the paper rolls that you put coins in. If you were to like stand it on its end, it would stand up. Your vagina is not a rigid roll of coins, but if you can picture those little paper rolls, you want your vaginal canal to be somewhat sturdy. You want it to be, you know, more or less straight up and down. That's not accurate. It's not straight up and down, but you get the rough idea. And what can happen if we don't have a lot of support or structure to the pelvic floor musculature is that we can actually have the cervix at the top kind of cave in, the rectum can cave forward or the bladder can cave back. Those are all called prolapse. So one of the jobs of the pelvic floor muscles is just to actually create structure to, to like hold all of these things separate in their own little upright columns, but also it's to cradle those muscles. So imagine when you step down off of a curb onto the street, there's a, a drop, right? If you like imagine your uterus or your bladder being like an egg if you didn't have any bounce in the pelvic floor, that egg would crack immediately as soon as you stepped down. I don't know if anyone did one of those projects in like physics class or something where you tried to like make a a container that you could put an egg in and drop it off a building. That's basically what your pelvic floor is in this analogy. It's the the springy trampoline that allows your body to absorb the impact of stepping down off a curb or obviously more significantly running, jumping, any of those kind of exercise formats, it gives you a bounciness. So one of the things that's really important to a healthy pelvic floor is springiness. So not just strength, like can you squeeze the crap out of the egg and crush it, but rather the bounciness and the springiness to kind of resist the impact that comes from just daily life. And that impact comes from internal sources as well, right? So a sneeze or a cough is a pretty significant downward impact as well. And we want the pelvic floor to be able to, to dull that impact. So part one is it gives you structure. Part two is that it gives you springiness. And then part three is that it gives you support or strength. So I always talk about wanting to have a pelvic floor that is as strong as or stronger than your core. And what I mean by that, and I use this analogy all the time, you've certainly heard it on this podcast before if you've listened to the podcast for a while. You are like a tube of toothpaste. You just happen to have three holes instead of one. And if your core is really strong, it's like someone grabbing the tube of toothpaste with no lid on it and just squeezing it. You don't want everything to pour out the bottom of you in this analogy. You want to have the ability to put the lid on the tube of toothpaste at an appropriate intensity. So we want support. We want control and strength in the pelvic floor, but we also want to be able to release the toothpaste when it's time to brush our teeth. So we want to be able to let go of that support so that we can empty our bowels, so that we can have sex, so that we can urinate, so that we can have a baby. That's really important. 
and we want to be able to offer support and strength that's appropriate to what we're doing. So we want support to hold as much pressure as the core can create. We want the ability to release that pressure on demand, and we want some variability in the amount of support. So we don't want a pelvic floor that's just like all or nothing. I describe it as an elevator. And if you can think of like peeing on the toilet as being a zero and like, oh my God, squeezing as hard as I can because I'm like deadlifting 200 pounds as like a five, you want to be able to dynamically move from zero to five or more realistically from one to four throughout your daily life and to be able to provide that support intuitively. And that's a big part of what I do in my programs is that we break all this down and we do it really consciously and with a lot of intention and focus so that ultimately we can do it unconsciously and the body just kind of figures out how to do it intuitively. So that's what the pelvic floor is and that's what the pelvic floor does. And we've touched a little bit on what strength actually looks like. What does strength mean when it comes to having a healthy pelvic floor? So again, healthy pelvic floor is provides structure it provides support or strength, and it provides springiness. It kind of trampolines and supports the um, the pelvic floor, or pardon me, the organs if there's impact. How do we create such a Goldilocks, I call it the Goldilocks pelvic floor sometimes. How do we create a Goldilocks pelvic floor that is structured, but springy, that's strong and supportive, but able to be released and able to dynamically be used throughout our day intuitively. I hinted at this a little bit a moment ago, and it starts with being able to do those things consciously. So when I do specifically Reclaim, which is my postpartum program, we start with just like, can you sit or lie down and breathe and feel like that you have a pelvic floor? Can you just be aware that those muscles are there? And for many, many people I work with one-on-one and in Reclaim throughout the spectrum of ages and experience levels and people who've had kids and haven't had kids and, and every kind of pelvic floor issue you can think of, that is often the first indicator of a problem is like, if you can't just like sit and feel that you have a pelvic floor, then you don't know what it's doing, right? So awareness is the first step of like, can you be aware that you have a pelvic floor? Can you be cognizant of if it's engaged or not engaged? Can you tell if it's like tight or tense or sore? Like, you know, like any muscle on your body would be. And the way that we get there, so if the answer is no, the way that we get there is through deep diaphragmatic breathing. When you breathe diaphragmatically, you let go of the muscles of the core and the pelvic floor. You kind of like let your gut hang out. You imagine like if you were, and I I even hesitate to say if you were sitting on the toilet because often people strain when they're on the toilet, even, even just the slightest bit when you're urinating, you may be kind of pushing. And that's not what I'm talking about. It's not pushing outward at all. It's just like, if you let everything go, can you have a sense of like, ah, there is the pelvic floor dropping. I can feel that release. And if not, then that's your work. You're just going to hang out on step one and practice diaphragmatic breathing and try to have a sense of the pelvic floor releasing and relaxing. 
Because once it's released and relaxed, and Lauren said this in the episode, she was talking about babies, completely unrelated, but once you've relaxed a muscle, then you can engage it. So if you want to engage a muscle, you have to relax it first. So we just figure out where am I, what's happening. And once you have that awareness, you can also apply it all day, every day, which is why it's such an important step. And then you get the muscles to release and you're like, oh, okay. And then we focus on, can you voluntarily engage your pelvic floor muscles? Can you release them? Can you engage them? release them, engage them. We do this with the breath. I've taught about this many times, but I'm trying to just kind of put this in the context, not so much of like here, do these exercise, but what the process looks like. So once we can have a sense of what the pelvic floor is doing, if we're just sitting around, we can just feel what the pelvic floor is up to. Then we figure out, can I engage it at all? And then we figure out, can I engage it to do different things? So can I do blinks where I'm engaging quickly, 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 quickly? Can I engage it slowly and deeply and gradually, and then release it slowly and deeply and gradually. Can I engage the front? Can I engage the back? Can I do those independently? Can I do them one than the other, right? So just building up, it's kind of like if you just, um, broken your leg and been in a cast, you would have to progressively build up the different types of movements that you could do with your leg. That's all we're doing with the pelvic floor. And the good news is, I think, it is my opinion, that because the pelvic floor is a postural muscle, meaning that it is a part of our like daily existence, just like be upright humans, it tends to learn pretty quickly. That's my experience, at least for for most folks, is that because you're using it all day, every day, it trains faster than if you were trying to get like really sexy biceps or something like that would, or triceps are a great example. Like I find it much more difficult to train the triceps to look really sculpted versus just getting the pelvic floor to like do what we want. Then we start to introduce things like jumping, higher impact, faster movements. And that's where we kind of have to take the leap from intentional to intuitive, where we go from, can I voluntarily do this to, can I do this completely intuitively without having to think about it or control it. And that's the magic. That's where the magic really happens is that ability to dynamically and intuitively allow your pelvic floor to respond to your daily life, whether that includes bending over, picking things up, squatting down, carrying heavy weight, um, running, jumping, whatever you want it to include. We want a pelvic floor that is able to support that. And depending on which type of issue you have, your priorities are going to land differently, right? So if you have an overtight pelvic floor with a lot of pain and you struggle to completely empty your bladder, for example, you're going to really just prioritize step one. All you're going to care about for the first two months, for example, of your pelvic floor training program is going to be like just can I get my bladder or not my bladder? Can I get my pelvic floor to relax so that I can empty my bladder? Can I notice what my pelvic floor is doing all day, every day? And then you start to build up that, okay, can I let go of my pelvic floor enough? If I'm just like sitting watching TV, can I let go of my pelvic floor enough that it's not clenched, but keep enough kind of resting tone that I don't pee myself. Right. And that, that is kind of the progress. That is the work of what I'm offering you. 
So I hope that that helps to answer the question of what is your pelvic floor? Where are these muscles located? What's included? The answer is totally depends on your perspective, but I include just about everything that's in your pelvis. And what does it do? And how do you get it to be stronger? Or more importantly, how do you get it to be healthier and more functional? So if you have pelvic floor questions, I would love to hear from you. I don't know if there's anyone who listens to the podcast who doesn't know that I'm on Instagram, but go ahead, catch me on Instagram at Kelly Bryant Wellness. Shoot me your questions anytime. I love answering them. And I can't wait to hear from you. Have an amazing week. Any of the resources mentioned in today's episode will be available in the show notes. So go ahead to your podcast app and open up the show notes, or you can find them right on my website. And I would be so grateful if you would share today's episode with a friend. So just go back to your podcast app, hit the share button and send the link over to someone who you think would benefit from this. And lastly, if you want bonus brownie points, you can go rate and review the podcast. This helps new subscribers find us and get some awesome benefits from listening to today's episode. Thanks again for being here and have an awesome week.